welcome to Unidentified Wargamer. Each week I interview a wargamer and identify them in the hobby. I've got a little bit of a different one here for you this time. I'm speaking to Geordie Flett. I've spoken to him in the past, uh, more talking about his hobby and what he gets enjoyment out of doing a hobby. Uh, but this time I brought him on as the uh, number one CanCon winner for 2023. How are you going, Geordie? Yeah, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How have you been in the last sort of few days? Has it sunk in that you've won the biggest tournament at the moment in the world? Yeah, look, it's um, it's starting to sink in. Um, first, I guess, couple of days, just very much couldn't believe it. Um, but now it's, yeah, it's it's very exciting. Um, and it's definitely something that's been uh, on the bucket list to go down and do. And uh, take out a five over is pretty good. Uh, excellent scoring, especially from the whole Simple Math crew as well. Uh, but it's nice. You've definitely... Uh, Deserve to go the five and zero oh for once. I know you've struggled at that four one bracket all the time. Yeah, it's been uh, been stuck at the four one for a while, but uh, yeah, it's great to be able to finally go five zero. Oh. What do you think in your mentality enabled you to finally get that five and zero? Oh? To be honest, it probably comes down to one of our mates, uh, Corey, who uh, also came second at the event. Um, we were discussing about it after the last event that we went to, and I went four one, and uh, he said to me, "He goes, mate, if you just gave five percent." more uh then you'd probably be able to you know get to that 5-0 so um i guess that was a little nudge from Corey to try and improve my game and uh well the sounds of it's definitely made a difference <laughs> yeah and you pipped them as well for that first place even better yeah got a bit <laughs> cheeky got a bit cheeky and uh, managed to, to get in front yeah we've been throwing lots of jabs at uh Corey over the last few days especially since um he's a re- well-renowned player of excellent skill uh, and then to be pipped by Geordie's even better. So we've been getting him much more. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely first time we've ever been in, so I'll definitely take that home. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to go over like the basic process and ideas you had before you went to CanCon? Yeah, for sure. Um, I can go through, I guess, uh, my list design principle and also how I approached, uh, I guess, the leader. Um I did actually make a fair bit of a change to my list. Um, I've been playing Beast for now probably around about three years. Similar style list with a very much counterpunch, um, sort of delay the opponents and control where they go with board control. While that has been generally effective, I found it's very, very mentally taxing. Um, and my biggest issue was always game three, um, day one. My brain was always just so fried. Um, and I always really struggled, and that's usually the, the game I drop. Um, so my main focus is trying to streamline the army, make it a bit easier to play, um, not as mentally taxing, um, and just try and make it so I could actually go for max points, understanding that would be trying to get to the five rounds to maximise your battle plan points. Um, I guess with that in mind, a bit of brainstorming with a few other guys in Simple Math, um, working out how we can really make sure we get to game five, um, so ensuring that you're very fast in the games, um, that you're already worked out what sort of battle tactic you want to do, generally up to the first three turns. Um, and then with that in mind, really designing the list to capitalise on the maximum amount of battle points that you can get. Um, so I really changed it from a control style list to more of a, a, a trading up list. So I designed to have units that I'd be able to basically throw away, but also get that advantage of a board position as well as taking out an opponent's key hammer. How did you find changing your play style? Because I know a lot of people struggle to 
changed from being an aggressive player to more reserves, but you sort of done the opposite swap of being more reserved control player where you've got moving parts everywhere to more of a, a trading aggressive attrition list. How did you find your change? Um, I guess the real thing that helped was a lot of games, um, getting the reps in, understanding each different phase, how you roll through, um, and really playing them out um, with the understanding that you might not get the double term, playing to get double terms, but also having the option to be able to, I guess, capitalise if you do win that priority. Um, so to get my mindset changed, I always had to make sure I had myself positioned to be able to capitalise on a mistake or an opening. Um, and so the only real way I could do that is just play games. Um, so we're getting in two or three um, games a day, either once or twice a week, um, just to really get that out. And did you find you had to deep dive and sort of get involved with other lists you were playing against or you're expecting to see at the top end of the tournament? Yeah, so I guess with that discussion with Corey about giving that 5%, um, I really sat down with my list and thought, okay, so what can I do for my for my five battle rounds? What are my battle tactics that I can achieve and what are my options? Um, in regards to that, that's probably what really changed my list. Um, to ensure they had the options to be able to a battle tactic first turn, even if it was a um, a battle plan that wasn't um, as easy to achieve. So I guess in the current GHB, before we go to the new one, against the odds was pretty much a gimme. Um, but it was always something you want to have in your back pocket. So if you could try and do a harder battle plan on that first turn, then you could really maximise the chance to get all five. Um, and I think the biggest thing that changed for me is... Um, Everyone knows, I guess, beasts at the moment are pretty broken. But uh, uh, this, I really tried to leverage on the ambush and the summoning um, and understanding that with the, the barge through enemy lines, you could get the bonus for the GVs. Um, always trying to make sure I had the option to have two GVs in reserve or close to the, the enemy territory to maximise getting that one point. Um, and that has been sort of uh, instrumental in really getting a jump in the opponents, just that one point puts a lot of pressure, um, forces them to really have to try and claw back that extra point that you get for the, the bonus from the GVs. Um, and that really shaped how my list played and I designed. Yeah. Did you find that with taking the extra summoning and that, because obviously trying to get all that in, like to travelling and you, you took two carry cases, so that's a, a big feat of itself trying to get that down to Canberra. Was that a consideration at all, travel-wise, with your models and army? Um, my biggest thing is on several games that I've played previously, um, when I've gone 4-1, there's been a few games that I've always been, oh, I wish I had this extra unit to summon, um, and I wish I could have had these options. So I went really hard to make sure that I had uh, basically a whole carry case full of summoning, um, which was a big effort in itself. Um but ensuring that I at least had two or three units of every option to summon. So that way, whatever position I was in, I could really capitalise and try and make the best strategy without having to be, I guess, um, sort of relying on not having the best options. Mm -hmm. um, in regards to travelling, we had some beautiful lads that decided to drive uh, from Brizzy down to Canberra. Um, they were basically our pack mules. So we were loading them all up with our carry cases. Um, we flew down and had the nice trip, and they drove. So big shout-out to those lads. Um, Mary and Pippin or, or Sam 
and, and Jordan Divisa. Yeah. yeah, big shout out to them. The, where I was leading you with there as well was I suppose it's coming down to you were prepared to an like sort of prepared and organized with what you needed to bring down to enable you to get those extra points as you wouldn't as you normally had said you go, oh, I wish I had this model to summon or this this unit to summon, whereas now you've got it all prepared and set up, ready to go. So that makes your, I suppose, your brain less more to, like, sorry, less to worry about in terms of, oh, I haven't got this unit now, so what can I use in case? And and yeah. now instead of that, you can actually go, well, I've got this unit now, I can throw it on the board and I know what I'm trying to get out of that unit without having to reorganize your whole brain to work out, is this an effective model and and, and making more decisions for yourself? Yeah, that's it. So basically my whole principle of planning for CanCon, I tried to go, I wanted to go, I guess, ultimately wanted to go 5-0, um, but I would have been pretty chuffed with the 4-1. Um, with that in mind, I really went hard on my preparation to try and maximise how it would actually go. Um, and in regards to that, what I was trying to do is just to make everything as easy as possible. So once I had was set on my list, I played multiple games so that way I wouldn't have to really think about the flow. I knew exactly what spells I'd cast, the flow of the the hero phase, um, what I'd move in the movement phase, um, just to try and reduce that cognitive load. Um, and same thing with the summoning, to make sure I had everything set up in my case so I could pull out each different tray and I know exactly what was on each tray. So I know if I pull out a tray, it's got my chaff on it, the other one might have like a hammer to summon. Just anything I could do in preparation to try and reduce any stress or any sort of um, anything that might take away from being able to think about the game to the point where I even sat down with all my battle plans and wrote down a list of how I should um, deploy, uh, what are the key units that I could deploy first, second, or would hold off to the end for more information. Um, and even going through the battle plans themselves to be like, what are my battle tactics I can do for my first three turns? Um, so really it was just all about prepping to try and reduce my, my cognitive load when I was actually at the event. Did you then prep your hero phase and turn one movement and then go further from that? Or is that what the extent you took your preparation in terms of turn one? Yeah, no, so I went through and worked out. Um, I set up the army basically on a board um, with each of the different missions. So in regards to how the battle plans were set up, we had a list mission date that was sort of set about a couple of weeks out. Um, after our list mission, then they would show us the battle plans. Um, so we had about a couple of weeks just to work out what the battle plans would potentially be, but we weren't given an, a specific order either. Um, so what I did is I made sure I set my army up on a, a blank table, worked out my ranges, um, all my, where my buff pieces would sit, um, and how that would interact in regards to where all the objectives were, and then how I would be able to achieve battle tactics based on where I'd position my units. Um, key with that was like say with brownstone cash um, or prize of let is ensuring that you had you know GVs available in case of proving ground. Um, looking at where their opponent's territory was to make sure I could either put my GVs in in ambush or on the table to try and maximise those um, battle tactics. So really just playing it out, a couple of like turns just by myself on the table, really working out those ranges, threat ranges, buff ranges to make sure that I knew where stuff had to be. And that just all worked towards being able to play those those first couple of turns really quickly um, to maximize trying to get to that five rounds. Did you then, because I know the um, battle plans 
weren't randomized and I know one was taken out. Did you design your list and your play style then around those battle plans specifically? Um, yeah, so one of the one that was taken out was Lurkers Below. I think it was in regards to the the nuance of if you went uh, you know, first or second in that battle round, could you potentially cap it and then auto win? Um, then there was some discussion in regards to how it would score the way this tournament worked was you'd get extra points if you denied battle tactics or more if you got some of your own and use, utilising that to sort of equate to your total score for the game. And I think that's why Clint decided that he's going to cause a lot of grief on the day and just to change it. Um, I wasn't that affected. I had options either or, so I wasn't too concerned. But I just had to play out mentally what I'd do for the one that they changed it to. And in terms of the scoring, did you feel your army worked well into the scoring pack? Was that something you had in consideration? Yeah, so I had also planned, I guess when I looked at the pack, the pack would tell you how it, basically the breakdown was, if you got a major, you got 14 points. If you got your grand strategy, you got three. If you denied the opponent, you got three. Um, each battle tactic you got, you got one point. And then for each battle tactic that you denied, you also got another point. So your max was sort of set around the 30. My list was trying to basically kill or table the opponent by turn three or to the point where they wouldn't be able to achieve many battle tactics by the end three. Yeah. So you link quite heavily into that style of trying to get maximized points in terms of using the, the battle plan, sorry, the battle pack as much as you could really. Yeah, so I guess understanding if even if I was to go 5-0, unless I did really, really well in every game, then there's no chance you're going to win. Um, and that was instrumental in changing my style of list. So previously I would have run Balakor, um, the Demon Prince Pawn, but that was sort of changed out just with the Slayers book coming in. So I usually would play like a more control, um, sort of lock down someone else's hammer and then capitalise. But I realised that the chance to be able to actually score well was going to be reduced if you played like that. Um, and so that's why we went more into the heavy trading board position game. Because I suppose making sure and planning well on your end in terms of the battle pack, your army, are all that extra 5% that you really need to focus down on to allow you to get that 5-0 and then pip at the end. Yeah, so all that sort of helps reduce that mental load. And obviously it must have worked because I think when I was playing, previously I'd make you know several multiple mistakes and usually when you do that with beasts, it doesn't end well. Like mentally going through the games, I could only sort of look at a few episodes where I made a few mistakes. So um, I guess it must have helped keep that brain sharp. Well, that's all the, the, the pre-chat, I suppose, and we can get stuck into the tournament now. Do you just want to give us a, a rundown of like the Friday for you and then how you got set up for Saturday morning? Yeah, for sure. For me, I booked a flight very late, though. Um, <laughs> I think I was un under the impression that if I needed to do any more painting, I'd have up to the end to be able to get it painted and ready. I guess I was somewhat more prepared and I should have flown down earlier. Uh, so my flight wasn't actually from Rizzi until like 5 o'clock in the afternoon and didn't get down to Canberra until about 8 o'clock. So for me, we just flew down. Um, Corey was the one that organised the cabin nice and close. And so we all just sort of bunted in there. There was about six of us. So I just flew down, caught up with some of the guys, um, had some dinner, tried to make sure we stayed off the beers on the Friday night. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Try and keep myself as hydrated as possible. We had a few chats with, with a few lads just about thought processes, what they're going to do first game, 
um, and then just got a bit excited when the first draw came up and just sort of scheming about how you'd be able to potentially play into the, the matchup. Uh, but it got redrawn anyway. So all that prep didn't really make much of a difference. <laughs> it always seems to be the way is everyone gets excited for the draw and then you either get a redraw that night while everyone's sort of asleep or winding down or you get a redraw in the morning and all your yep. prep's gone out the yep. window. So initially I was meant to be drawn into, I think, Gargans. Ash McEwen's, wasn't it? The the beautiful... That's right. So we we're going to have a, a beautiful table table fight. Um, yeah, unfortunately, we didn't get to do that. But yeah, good to play another good opponent for game one. Do you have a, um, a ritual or anything you get ready to set up for Saturday morning? That's a good question. Uh <laughs> I guess the main thing, I just wanted to make sure I had a good sleep. Try not to stay up too late on the phone. Try and get your brain to, to settle down a bit. I had a little sleep in to make sure that I felt well rested. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, just make sure I had a good breakfast, had my coffee on board. It was funny, actually. We were discussing with Corey before we flew down. We're like, how can we maximise and make ourselves feel comfortable? So went out and bought some new socks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that whether that helped or not, but. It's beautiful having lovely new socks. And we just talked about, you know, anything we can do to make it easier. So we made sure that we had loose-fitting shorts, comfortable shoes, heaps of water. Yeah, so that was the main thing, just having brand new socks, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Have those socks been washed since? No. Oh, yeah. The socks have been washed since. But um, (laughs) I took them basically straight down, brand new. That new sock feeling is something that's uh, pretty good. Nice. (laughs) Well, do you want to just rattle off your five opponents, like just just give them a shout out here, and then we can just refer to them by their first name, just so it's a bit easier later on. Yeah, no worries. Um, apologies, guys, by uh, butchering your names. Um, so my first game was against uh, Silverneth, so it's Tyson Froben. Um, second game was Ogamore Tribes against uh, Bavin Bond. Third game was um, against Gavin Thankful, and that was uh, Bruce Fan. Uh, fourth game, I played against uh, a mate of our, a mate of mine, uh, Nicholas Matheson. And then last game was against uh, Dalton. Well, you want to run us through your first game and how you felt with your matchup for the first battle plan there. Of, was it Prize of Galette was the first one? Yeah, I believe it was Prize. So I was playing against Tyson with his Sylvaner. So looking at his list, he was playing a, a Derthu and uh more of a strike and fade style list. He also had two units of great bows, um, some scythes, um, and then the usual combo of the, the Gur Battle Mage and also the Spice Swarm Hive to really capitalize on that strike and fade. Um, and then just had a, a branch with his general um, just for that uh, AOE bomb. Um, I guess I got pretty fortunate. Beasts are generally pretty good into Sylvaneth, I found, um, just in my previous games. We were able to have multiple bodies to be able to get on those um terrain features and also the wildwoods to try and shut off that summoning also oh, the, the teleporting so i was very fortunate in that regard so i could run up block off a lot of his uh abilities to be mobile and i think probably sylvaneth at the moment just in the i guess the, the current battle plan struggle with the the single objectives trying to hold him down so for me i was able to capitalize he threw on dirthu and he did unfortunately what dirthu does and just totally whiffs um against tenzangle he strike and fade Oh, no, <laughs> not against Tenzangor as well. <laughs> yeah, so he, he came in, I think he just uh, did about four damage. So as they say, um, sometimes you don't have to be good, you just got to be lucky. Um, so that definitely played out a few times in these games. Yeah, so he, he charged him with Dirty and also Drycher into Six Enlightened. Um, and Enlightened just made quick work of Drycher. From there, I got a key priority and managed to get a double from two to three, I believe. Um, and that's when they're, they're Enlightened and all the... 
the beast really turn on. Um, and I was able to, to push into his sort of board section, uh, get multiple charges off and just really sort of hurry where he was bunkered up. And then I think at the end of turn three, he really only had Dirtu and six, oh, sorry, and three of the uh, the bow guys left. And from there, managed to, to get a convincing win at 28-2. But yeah, that poor game, I think, his, his whiff with Dirtu really sort of set the tone of how the battle was going to go after that. So who who was lower drops in this case, and then who went first? I'm pretty sure Tyson uh, gave away the turn. All I did was push up uh, with my Ungor Raiders, uh, managed to sort of push onto his uh, the train features to turn off the summoning of the, the teleporting. I didn't really move too much out of my bunker, just to try and keep myself well protected because I knew that with the Gur Battle Mage and his Spice Swarm Hive, he had some significant uh, bonuses charge. If I opened up and and didn't really put my screens when they needed to be, he was going to get in and do some serious damage. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I went first. I sort of played very cagey, managed to just tap on that objective to make sure I, I score my points, um, position myself well so if I got doubled, I'd have some good good play. He'd moved his tree revs across um, to captain objective. Apologies. I think this one was... Yeah, this was Price. Um, so he activated the objective on the right side. Oh, sorry, I objected, I activated the objective on the right side going second um, in the battle round, on the second battle round. Um, and he'd moved over his great sides just to strike and fade, capitalize. And then I'd moved over my six aligned with a, the buffed up spell to reroll wounds in combat and also minus uh, additional sprint to their save. So I think they were on run three, turn two. Um, which is pretty nasty, and cleared out a lot of his stuff that he had on his right side, and that really put him on his back foot. So he had to come to me and had to really try and push out. But I just had a lot of lot of bodies in his way, so he couldn't really just cut through. In terms of with Prize of Galette, did you like being put first, or would you have rather have gone second in a scenario like that, where being going second gives you the ability to turn on an objective? What would you have rather? And then do you find that that put you in a strong position going first? Um, so generally most people want to give away first in price so they can work out what um, objectives they want to activate. And also if you don't deploy appropriately, then they can also prove and ground it um, just to really capitalise on that control one, control more. So I built my army with that in mind, knowing that most people who played on that admission, then I wanted to have the option for my two GVs, two gores, and I just deployed them on sort of the front line but either side so then they could always run forward and grab it. You didn't really mind getting given first and you could capitalize on it and you'd set up a game plan so that if you did get given first, which was most likely the, the scenario, depending obviously on drops, uh, you had an out for yourself instantly. Yeah, pretty much. So the way I worked it is I knew that most people would give me first so they could play for the double from one to two. And that way they could also dictate what was a GV, what, oh, sorry, what was a proving ground, what wasn't. With that in mind, that's why I always had two, two gores in the, my, as my GVs. And I didn't deploy them until the very last period. So then I could either choose to have them off board to try and get a, the bonus with barge, or I'd have them so I could position in the middle to be able to respond in case they did make one of the uh, the objectives a proven grounds. And then in terms of the last few rounds, obviously you scored the 28-2. So you denied two of his battle tactics for like turn four and five, or were they earlier in the rounds? Yeah, and no, I said denied battle tactics turn four five. So yeah, I managed to sort of 
Dersu had stroke, strike and fade, but he was towards the back corner um, where his castle was with, with his um, battle mage and also with his um, branch witch. What I'd done is summon a few shooters, um, Ungol Raiders, across near that flank to try and stop him from being able to manoeuvre around. And then I think I had about 20 or 30 of the Ungol Raiders by the end that I just peppered his um, branch witch with and managed to take off his general um, to really turn off that, that mortal wound bomb. And then with the, the Zanger on foot being so fast, being able to run and charge, push them up, and then was just really able to box him in to create a little circle of love for him. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, just went and sort of played a bit cagey for two turns to make sure I could maximise my battle battle tactics um, to get make sure I get to all five. And then I think I'd, I'd killed Dirthu by turn four. And then in terms of the overall game, you felt like all your game plans went quite well and you didn't really fluster or flounder anywhere? No, I think um, my plans for the first couple of rounds, they basically went how they should. Got pretty lucky, I guess, with the Dirthu's basically whiffing. I would have had 10 less Zangor. But otherwise, yeah, I think everything else went to, to exact plan. I mean, Tyson played well with what he had, but um, just had a few unlucky, unlucky rolls and um, I got a key priority. So the win, which is nice. So overall, game one was pretty successful yourself then? Yeah, to be honest, I was concerned about game one, game two, just because if you come up against an Alpha Bunker or someone who can really hold those objectives the first couple of turns, it can be very hard to come back. So I was pretty happy that I managed to get Sylvaneth in the first game just knowing that they are not the kind of army that can really sort of um, hold in those spots. And so was lunch after round one or after round two? Yeah, round one. So lunch after round one, get those all those nerves out, have a chat to everyone. I didn't really get a chance to walk around the convention too much, unfortunately. I guess I was just trying to stay focused in my mind and had a good feed and just relaxed, played through my mind what I was about to do for the next game and how, how to sort of try and manage that battle plan. Had myself a little notepad that I'd um, wrote down some some notes and what I was going to do for the next one. So just mainly just spent some time looking over that. So what what was your round two then? Um, so round two was into Bevan. Um, he had an Ogremore Tribes list, very much focused on the Stonehorns. So two two Stonehorns. He also had he was in Boulderhead. He had a few uh, Thundertusk Beast Riders. So basically, it was just massive monsters coming straight at your face, um, super quick. so i was like oh this could be a bit of a bit of an issue yeah so this one i think we're playing on uh yeah so this one i'm pretty sure he gave me first again and all i all i basically did was just move up toe in the objective and try and keep my my uh my double laid screens um to try and prevent him being able to get everything if he does get a double to be honest, I was pretty nervous about this one. I just know how much those stone horns can do. So yeah, I was I was kind of playing very cagey, to be honest. <laughs> and then obviously you'd you'd laid up your whole castle so then he couldn't fly over and get into anything tasty at the back either. Yeah, exactly. So understanding that he had that three to six fly, the monstrous action, um, I made sure when I was deploying, I'd measured out his base size and then I'd have my screen set up so that way he couldn't be able to land his base in between. And have make sure that he wouldn't be able to bring any extra guys into combat. This one also had, I think, it had a nice piece of damn terrain on the right side, just next to the middle of the board. Um, so I was lucky enough to to win priority to decide what what table quarters to go with. Beasts absolutely love damn terrain. If you got arcane on your side, I'll take damn terrain any any day of the week. 
Uh, the plus one to hit on the Zangors is just phenomenal. So I had two units of six enlightened hugging this piece of terrain, trying to get as much much cover as they could and just sitting them there waiting for like a counterpunch. And then I just had multiple rings of um, my chaff to try and make sure it can get to me. I was pretty concerned that it would be able to smash my herdstone having the game five monsters. So <laughs> really trying to trying to protect the herdstone that one. How did the, the turns two, two and three go? Yeah, so I, I just pushed out my raiders to cap the, the objective turn one. And I made it so I had it so they were on the other side of the, the objective in the middle. So that way, if you did make a charge to them, they were at least three inches, 3.5 inches outside of that. So basically, I just alpha chaffed him. So I was given first. They had the free game moved, auto run them six. Um, so I was pretty much three inches away with a, a 10 man long um, <laughs> screen in front. Yep. Um, just trying to hold him off as far, like keep him as far away from me as possible. Um, in the hope to try and get as close as possible to turn three to, to, to really turn on my rend. That worked well. He moved a few guys around trying to get to him, um, and I did a late late turn redeploy for him. So just redeploy him back so they're just outside of the, the range objective, so three and a half inches. So even if he made that charge, he still wouldn't be on a pile on uh, onto the objective. Unfortunately for him, he chose a battle tactic to kill the unit with his general. And then with the Ogremore tribes being doing the impact hits on the charge, he like the way he's, I guess, um, organised his charges. Unfortunately, the unit died before his general could actually get to them. Um, so he rolled them, unfortunately, um, and then dropped the battle tactic straight away. Then he won priority for two, um, and he said, "Look, mate, I'm just going to have to just push everything forward because I'm I'm behind and just see what happens." Um, which is what happened, and he got into my Dragon Ogres, managed to kill him down to, I think, two guys left out of the six. And then when it was my turn, I went in with my, he, he did Finest Hour, or Best Day Ever. Um, I went in with my Six Enlightened and Whiffed. <laughs> so had him super buffed up with the plus one rend, re-rolling wounds in combat, and unfortunately they left him on two wounds. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, which he proceeded then to eat, I think, five of them. So, but luckily I had multiple charged so I can get the other guys in there and managed to kill him. And so bottom of two, I think I'd killed his stone horn. His second stone horn was down to four wins remaining and he had a few other beast coins up the uh, Mournfang left. In terms of the Realmstone cash explosion, was that something that was that worked to your advantage or was it a disadvantage after it exploded? Uh, it actually went his way. So on my right flank, his left, he had a Thunder Tusk and two units of Mournfang. Um, and it basically just popped up right where they were. And then the other, so it went, went diagonal. And he, the other one was over and his butcher could just move straight over and grab it. So <laughs> he went, it was perfect, perfect RNG for him, which was, I guess, kept him in the game. Um, but then, unfortunately, I got the turn for three and had basically nukes everything except for one, two of his, uh, two of his um, what are they? Thunder Tusks or Mornfang? No, the, the Thunder Tusks. The two were left so they could manoeuvre, grab the objective, and that scored him an additional battle tactic. And then overall in terms of score for that round for yourself? Uh, so that that round we got to 27-3. So he dropped his first battle tactic and then that was the only one he dropped? Yeah, so he was. I think we ended up tabling him by turn four. Okay. Yeah, so he missed out on the last one. 
And then overall, how do you think your, your game plan for that game worked out? Um, yeah, I was, I was a bit worried about it, um, but I think played it well in regards to trying to keep him away from everything, understanding how he was going to position himself to make sure that I didn't get the, the guys flying over the top um, with that monstrous action um, and just trying to play for that wait to turn three to really turn on the, the rend, especially against those stone horns that can be so, so resilient. And with coming up against an army that has very few models, did you find not slow play, but you played a little bit slower to make sure you done everything correctly? Or did you find the game was over in two hours and you had plenty of time left? This one was more trying to position your, your guys to make sure he couldn't get in and really take away the models to try and dictate how to pile in. Um, but in saying that, when he's pushing the stone horns down your face, it kind of happens pretty quickly. Uh, what point did the game finish and how much, did you have, how much time did you have left in the round? Um, so this one, I believe we'd finished around about half an hour early. I just got a correction. It, it wasn't Bevan Bond. I think it was Brody. They just had two similar lists and I brought it up. And I was like, oops. <laughs> All good. Well, Bevan gets a shout out anyway then. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so you come against Brody, was it? Yeah. And what was the, the round time between game two and game three? About 15 minutes? I think it was only about 15, yeah. Okay. I think the round, round times were about two hours, 45. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was about 15 minutes in between to try and get everything sorted out, get the scores in. Um, anyone who's playing to that end to try and, I guess, finalise their, their scoring and pack up. Because I suppose normally with these larger armies, you have a lot more to pack up. So you generally find you run out of time trying to get between the two rounds. So having that extra half an hour obviously gave you a bit of breathing room to get your army all set up, ready to go for the next round, as well as possibly go to the toilet or even you get your 15-minute break so you get to see your next match up and you get a bit of downtime to actually look over it all. Yeah, yeah. So um, I guess coming into that planning, with those two cases, I made sure that I could easily put the models onto each different tray. So I've got the, the magnitude cases. There's about four different sort of just magnetized trays that you can put them in. So I had it so whenever anything was dying, I was just putting them straight in my tray to try and improve that or reduce the amount of time between rounds. So you had that option to be able to go grab a drink, go to the bathroom without that time pressure between rounds. Because I've definitely, I've noticed you feel very flustered and then you arrive at the next round and you're already flustered. They've probably had a good look at your list or you're still trying to get everything unpacked and ready to go. So automatically they have that little advantage over you so you having that 45 minutes between the round obviously probably helped you quite a bit there. Yeah, and also in regards to that, if you get there feeling comfortable, you have that time to really look at the terrain, see what's, you know, where we could set up, how your the mission would work. And so when you get there and you have to roll off the sides, if you've had time to think about it, it's a lot easier to make that decision instead of to make, trying to make a snap decision of which side to take um, if you do win the, the roll-off. Did you find over the whole tournament that terrain was quite impactful? Uh, yes and no. Um, so I guess listen to the few of the, the streamers about how the terrain set up overseas, um, like in the UK or over in the States, a few of them started to utilising a train pack that has um, garrisonable terrain, um, one sort of blocking terrain, and um, I think that'd be a lot more impactful. So for ours, we at least had, I think it was about eight pieces of terrain on the table. Um, generally, they're around about the size of either six inches, six to 12 inches in size. Um, and they were just pre-set and pre-marked where they were. So you already knew what type they were, the dams, mystical, et cetera. 
um, they just had a little token that was placed on the terrain um, and they're already set with the idea that you couldn't move it. It was where it was and you just played where wherever the objectives were going to go. Did you find that in your first two games and this third game that people changed sides or you pretty much stayed on the same side you were already at when you sat down your models? Uh, it really depended how your army played and what you're looking for. Obviously, most people were just looking for that arcane. But like I said, if I could find damned, I was chasing that like a hound dog. Uh, so I think out of the games, I won about two for choice for sides. And then the others, it was just in the hands of the opponents. And so let's, let's go on to game three then versus Gavin and Bruce Farn. Yep. So game three was the change. It was initially meant to be the lurkers and that was changed to close to the chest um which is that sort of weird l-shaped deployment <laughs> the one that um, takes forever to, to try and set up for. <laughs> yeah so trying to measure it out so against bruce he was running skaven i haven't really had too many games against skaven there's uh only one fellow that he really runs it in our local scene um we get some games against shout out to gav so bruce was running one that i haven't really had much for a play against he was running a thankful but more of a, a fighty he also had a master, master molder as his general to really buff up his rat ogres, um, running two units of four rat ogres with the ability to come back when they die. Unit 10 storm vermin is like the rep needed to pass off wounds to for his warlock. And he had the a big hammer of 15, the acolytes that just do massive amounts of damage on their the throws. So this list, we started like a semi-close. I think we were about nine inches away from each other's territory, but just that odd shape. And the way I deployed it, uh, there's three objectives. Um, you make one your alpha uh, to get that extra point. Generally, you make it that sort of one in the middle of your deployment zone, so the one on your the right of each board. Um, and I set up most of my army sort of around that area, knowing that that's where I was going to play from. With this one, because uh, these territories are so large, I was really trying to play to go first and have really leveraged the barge training lines with the GVs. So I didn't deploy my gores until the to the very end. And me being 11 drops, I can really get to see how the other opponent's going to deploy. And that was sort of very important. He was only two drops, so I got to see so much information about his his plan. So I was sort of set up in the middle, castled around the Herdstone. He placed his, uh, the I think, the... Warlock Engineer or the Arch Warlock? No, the, uh, what are the train features? The... Oh, the uh, Vermin uh, Norholes. Norholes, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, so he placed a Norhole in the back corner and then sort of in it basically like a square fashion. So okay. one, right next to his army. So he had options to be able to teleport around to close to the objectives. So I'd had it, so at least had one unit just towing in to turn off his Norhole in the back corner and then just really like a bunker around um, the Hearthstone. Had some Ungor Raiders just up on the, the corner of the L-shape just to be able to pre-game move to threaten an objective. He had, he did the same, basically. He had the whole army deployed and next to his um, middle deep sort of t- uh, objective. And then he had a unit of four drag, uh, sorry, uh, Rad Ogres just on the corner of the other little L-shape to threaten my other objective. He gave away first, uh, which was, I figured was going to happen, but I'd already had the, the two gores in reserve so i stayed pretty much bunkered up my my same spot with uh, the multiple layers like dual layers of um, chaff but what i did do is i had my zangors with the ability to to push out and kill his four uh, 
these four rat ogres on the on the flank. Deploy my gores to capture the the barge streaming lines um, just behind his army, so sort of create like a circle around him. And uh, the Zangors then got into his rat ogres, proceeded to kill them, but he brought them back anyway. But they got to come come back within twelve inches of his uh, master molder, so it just created like this extra ring of his defensive defensive zone. Um, so then in his turn, he's pushed out a little bit, take, tried then cap the objective at the top right, and he's just taken out my un- Uncle Raiders. He has then won prior from one to two. He's pushed forward with Thankwall and everyone because we're only initially started about 18 apart. Um, he'd shuffled forward in his turn three or four inches. Uh, so he took prior into two for the double. Push forward with everyone. I've got a cheeky redeploy of five inches, and that lengthened his charge from, I think it was initially going to be a five up to about a nine. Oh. Um, yeah, so very, very fortunate with that redeploy. Uh, and thank you, failed to reroll the charge. So that's that lady luck on my side again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was that was absolutely pivotal because he had finest hour, um, flaming weapon, a few other things on him. Oh, all the buffs in the world ready to go off and then... Yeah, ready to go nuts and didn't, decided he didn't want to charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so very fortunate in that regards. He's, then those four rat ogres that have come back, they pushed over, um, deleted my unit's angles for a bit more pull position for himself. And then in my turn, I managed to summon a few more Ungor Raiders. I was really trying to focus in on his um, the Squire Acolytes, knowing how much damage they do. When he told me this scroll, I was like, wow, that's going to be my target priority number one. Yeah. And then I just went, you know what? I've got to really push this turn and hope I get the double into three. So I pushed forward, buffed up, you know, the six and lightened. Um, they went into Thankful and uh, deleted him. <laughs> just casually. Yeah. Well, they had, they had plus one rend, uh, re-rolling wounds. They'd been on damn terrain, so they'd stab themselves for an extra plus one to get. So that was super buffed. Went and took out, yeah. So we got thankful. Six dragon ogres went into his help bit of automation, got him down to one wound. And then I have a few more zangles that charge into his other radios. So just an absolute mad, mad fight in the middle. It came down to this actually pretty funny point. So dragon ogres, the end of their phase in combat on a two plus, they do one mortal wound. I ended up killing his help bit of automation that turn. He comes back to life and he has one wound left. And I roll my two up and I fail it. I get the double into three. So then I managed to take out most of his stuff from his right side. Absolutely whiff against his help with automation again. He kills a few more dragon ogres. I've only got like one left. Comes to the end of the turn. Oh, so I, I yeah, it comes to the end of the turn. He's got one wound left in his help with automation again. Roll that two up, miss it again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he just didn't want to die. Didn't want to die. So that was a pretty funny, funny, um, funny time. He's like, come on, man. This is, this is the best I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a pretty fun game. But yeah, unfortunately, by the end of three, I think it was pretty, pretty much riding the wall for for Bruce, and he'd been tabled, I think, by top of four, and I'd also oh, might have been bottom of, yeah, pretty much top of four was he was tabled, but um, at the end of three, I think he only had a couple of units left. And then, what was the overall score for that one there for you? Uh there was twenty eight two. Right two, and then so he dropped his last two battle tactics in four and five. Yeah, so he dropped three t- tactics overall. Oh, th- yeah, that's yeah. I'm keep counting the two as just two dropped, but yeah, three dropped overall because it's five. Yeah, yeah. So that he dropped in three, four, and five. Then I believe so. Yeah. 
he he went for one um, that was I think it's out muscle where you kill a unit and control more objectives. Yes, oh, um, with, the G, with the GV, isn't it? See that muscle is another one. I always mess it up. It's the one where you control more objectives and you choose a unit to destroy. Yeah, and so unfortunately, we just tied on the amount of objectives controlled. Oh, okay. And so that's why that's why he dropped that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. And then overall, good game plan, good result for yourself. Yeah, yep. So that was um, that was a good game. That was actually a lot of fun. Um, anytime you're playing Skaven, it always can be highs and lows. <laughs> That's Skaven for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a good fun game. I enjoyed that one. Oh, brilliant. So they ended off the day one with three and zero. Yeah, so that was three and zero. Absolutely cheering. Really good result because that was a, the game I was most worried about. Just from previous, usually always struggle in game three and day one. And then you were happy overall with your your score getting your what was like your shy seven points of max points then as well. Yeah, so I was pretty happy with that. Looking around the room, unless someone conceded, then you couldn't really go thirty zero. If you played really well, most people were getting around about the twenty eight twos, twenty seven threes. Um, so I think it end game end of turn day one, I was um, fifth on the table. Because I know there were a few thirty and O's floating around from round one, especially where there was about I think four or five drops. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure for rounds two and three. We um currently can't bring up stats and ladders, so we're having a bit of trouble trying to. To find everything. Yeah. This is we're going off screenshots and, and memory. <laughs> yeah, so to my plan, I apologise if I'm not getting this 100% right. I haven't got been able to bring out the scores. So. And then what? how was your, your rest of your afternoon and evening and then night? Yeah, so the other was good. Um, we just went and hung around with the, the guys from Super Math, trying to have a very quiet, relaxed night. We already pre, pre sort of set out that Saturday night we'll try and be chill um, if we're doing well. If we dropped a game, then we just decided we'd have a few beers. So <laughs> half of us were drinking, the other half weren't. And we planned to have, a, I guess, the semi-celebrations uh, on Sunday night. So for us, it was kind of just we went to the pub, had a meal, um, chatted about how we'd gone so far, and then just talked about how we thought we were going to go for the next day, discussing those battle plans. And was your round four matchup, was that released at the night or was that the morning of Sunday? Um, I don't think it came out until either very late on Saturday night or early Sunday morning. So I don't think we really had much time to prep for that. Before your matchups actually came out, did you feel quite strong into the Nidus paths? Yeah, so I was actually pretty pretty happy with how game one had gone. Um, I was more concerned about the first two battle plans, um, Prize and Realmstone, um, knowing that Beast was probably not going to be as strong on that compared to others. So I was pretty optimistic going into to day two, knowing that the next games were going to be Nidus Path and um, Silksteel Nest. Just being those multiple objectives really is going to put um, Beasts at a good position. Did you have fresh socks ready to go for Sunday or were you wearing your lucky socks from the day earlier? No, nah, every day was brand new sock day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bought a five pack and I was like, nah, every day is going to be a new sock day. Nice. Well, it worked out well for you then. What was your round four and then do you want to go over your setup for the day as well? I think it was pretty standard to the day earlier. Yeah, pretty much. So set up for the day. I had just had a good sleep in, relaxed, got up, had a coffee, made sure I had some good brekkie, trying not to overthink it or get too excited about the potential for doing well, but just being like, all right, um, just went over my my notes that I already had written down for how I was going to deploy for these, these missions and what sort of battle tactics I could get um, as my preparation for the day. And then I think then they released the list. Um, then we finally got to see who we were playing, um, and I was drawn into Nick Matheson. So 
He's a follower I've, I've known for a few years. This will be the first time they got to play. Um, previously, we'd been down to the GT and just hung out and had a chat and had a yarn, but not actually put a game in. So it was nice to be able to have, have a, a game against a mate from interstate. And then, so what army was he running? Uh, so Nick was running uh, sort of a big war, a mixed orc list. I really haven't played too much into like a big war style. I mainly play against Corey's uh, Iron Jaws, which is <laughs> which is character building. Uh, <laughs> So Nick was running Big Wire with a mix of um, he had the the cabbage, he had the beautiful Wergold Prophet, the the most excitement slot machine you can have in a game of Warhammer. <laughs> uh, also had uh, the, the War Chances, which is your normal staple, and then he also had, just had a uh, Kill Boss on Ashtooth as a good trading unit. So that was his guys, and then he was leaning more into just building points and. Um, building the wire and then just being able to smash it. So I had three units of five eye boys. They're all in um, expert conquerors, two unit core grunters, um, and then a unit six bot boys to get that, make you come to him, and then he was just going to smash your face. And how did that plan work out for him? Yeah, so we're playing in Nidus Path, so we're a bit more spread out, far apart from each other. So this was a very cagey game. I think we're both playing an army that, wants to sort of wait a little bit to get so he was basically waiting to try and build those points to really get the the buff when the wire gets up to i think it's 20 points they get plus on hit plus on wound just to really turn on the damage output for me beasts we love turn three onwards with that extra rend and this one was very set out with those four objectives i was 11 drops and he was 12 finally get the choice so finally finally got the choice which is lovely for this one i'm pretty sure i went first yeah so i chose and i went first my game plan for this, I had the double screen again, understanding how fast that cabbage can be and respecting it a lot. So my main thing was I just pushed my Angor Raiders up to cap an objective, control one, control two, control more. I chose not to have my Gores in reserve because I really needed those screens to protect against the, the, the massive push that they can do. And I really just wanted to be able to make sure that I could maximise those points. So one, two more. So I took the turn. My plan was basically buff up my Beast Lord get him to run and charge, finest hour, and just throw him in. He would die, and I'm in gave spawn, so two plus is a spawn. And I wanted to try and turn off his ability to move in the hero phase. Um, so if I had a unit within 12, then he wouldn't be able to move, but I have to charge. Um, so that was really what I was trying to do. So I buffed up my Beast Lord, gave him uh, finest hour, uh, extra rend, reroll wounds in combat, and then proceeded to fail his charge. <laughs> what was the charge so, do you remember uh yeah it was a six inch charge oh okay so it was pretty easy to get so a re-rollable six inch charge and i was like uh. good job mate <laughs> <laughs> but i mean like he did what he was meant to do he's just meant to be a little dude that's a distraction when he dies turns into spawn creates a headache for the enemy and my thing was to go first i just moved up my uncle raiders on one of the the flank objectives and then summoned another unit on another flank objective. So that way he'd have to push out to try and get the, the primary scoring. So we basically were very much tiptoeing around each other for those first couple of turns. Um, so he'd move his hard boys up, take my unit off. I moved up some Zangor, took his hard boys off, and we're just trading for primary for the first three turns, our oh, first two turns. I won prior in three. So I got. I think I managed to get. Yeah. So I managed to get prior in three, which was very, very important. Um, 
and that enabled so i pushed mine lightened up to the middle area with that in mind if i did win pro i was either going to be able to go out and try and kill his cabbage or i'd force his hand for him to have to come try and kill those enlightened and then i'd be able to counter punch his cabbage because i was really trying to stay away from those six bot boys and with my enlightened on disc being able to move 19 with the buff i was sort of just playing very cagey and trying to get him to come to me um, and because i'd already got up by one point by controlling one two more i was already ahead by one and so he was in his court to try and come to me and then you've also got your, your tasty barge through for that extra point so then he's down nearly a whole battle tactic exactly so that's why i was like i'll just put pressure on early get him to have to come towards me and then i can have a really strong counter punch mm-hmm. and then what was the, the end result for that match then yeah so that match was the closest that we had um so i got 26 4 for that okay. um so he had only dropped one battle tactic mm-hmm. um because i think he was tailed um top of five okay so it's pretty much just yeah. the dust up three four and into five yep yep okay do you think that advantage you more or him more for the battle for for the for the dust up rather than because both of you were waiting back who do you think had the advantage in waiting longer well, for me, when I wait longer, my rain gets better. I get more summoning. For him, he gets his low points. We discussed it afterwards. He said, look, I, I made a mistake. I was too cagey. He should have turned one, maybe just pushed up slightly and just took a bit more board position. And then he would have had those options to move more. So in turn two, when he had a turn, he couldn't really reach anything. And he's like, if I had been further up the board, I would have had a better play, but more options. Um, and his bolt boys basically did nothing all game because of the range. So I think because also we had that ability to teleport as well, he needed to hold something back to block off the teleport. And then he had his castle, these little war chanters and all the little buff pieces in the middle next to them. So he was a bit worried about opening that up. So, yeah, I think I just got lucky with winning that key priority. And I suppose that's probably maybe a slight downfall to the scoring system. If someone can nearly jeopardize, I suppose, your, your run if they play very cagey and don't allow you to reach out to them, and, and sort of went up big early on because then they're still scoring their battle tactics every turn. Yeah, so that one going 26-4 really hampered my position on the the, the ladder board because most of the other guys were going 28-2, 27-3. And then so you were off to lunch after that? Yeah, off to lunch after that. And then um, I was cheering. I was like, cool, got my 4-1 at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, so pretty happy. I was very excited for that. Really actually quite apprehensive and nervous because I was like, oh, I could actually go 5-0 here. So I kind of was very quiet over lunch, just got some food, sat down, lost some thought, just thinking about what I could do for the next battle round, uh, the mission, and hoping I'd get a good matchup. But I knew I had a, a strong play on with Beast on Silk Steel with those eight objectives. The, the ability to see who you could come up against in terms of playing down or playing up on the stats and ladders, was it all random? Um, you didn't... I don't really know how they... Um, had your matchups go in regards to who where you were sort of positioned. Um, you could see, you know, at that stage, I think there's still about 16 people who were 4 1 or 4 4 0, sorry. Um, so it was going to be any of those guys. Um, I mean, you could sit there and look through it and try and work out a battle, a plan against 16 opponents, but I was kind of just more focused on having lunch. So it's a little bit too hard to pre plan against your opponent for that one as well. Yeah, I figured it just made my brain hurt, to be honest. Um, I was like, look, I'll just worry about it once I get the, the once I find out how I'm playing. Um, also, over that that lunch was when we had to set up for nominator for coolest army. So with that game against Nick, we basically went to time, and so then 
I had to rush over, set up my army just for the for the coolest army votes, which is, you know, pretty good. Um, very, very nice to be nominated for that. So yeah, the bloody got... triple threat, mate. Score, uh, painting yeah. and sports. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, so I had to rush over, set my army up for that, and then got a chance to check out everyone else's beautiful models, which is the, the, the level of hobby was phenomenal. Yeah, it's really good to see not only people playing well, but also spending a lot of time with their hobby. Your hobby at CanCon is also always crazy, like the the display boards and the amount of effort that people put into it all. Yeah, I realise next year I probably have to bring a, a box with speakers and uh, <laughs> <laughs> a, a beautiful display board if I want any chance of winning. Yeah, we need to see you with a display board, Jordy. It's been too long. I, I make my, my my army beautiful. I think the display board is a bit unfair when it comes to coolest army, but I understand it's an extra added benefit. I did like. In terms of that, because I know they done the painting, which was based solely on how well your models were painted and scored for painting that way. And then coolest army was obviously how cool was your army, like a, a fan voted thing rather than like a judging based thing. Yeah, so that was good the way they delineated that. So in the players pack, they had a very sort of set out how you get points for scoring, uh, scores mm -hmm. for painting, and that was judged by I believe three independent people, and then they come to a score for each each player. Um, and those guys walked around during the tournament, I think it was day one, um, just checking everyone's paintings uh, level and then coming to the, the scores for everyone. Uh, and then from that, they had a look around and made several short lists of who they thought were the coolest armies and then cut them down to, I think, the top 12 and they, or top eight, I think might have been. And then they put them up on the board for everyone to vote for. So you felt you had enough time to get your army display and then also have lunch and get back into it and you weren't too flustered for the round five? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. For round five, though, I had to sort of hustle to um, get my army packed up and then over to the tables. So that wasn't too bad. But, yeah, probably did put a little bit of stress, sort of like not having a chance to look at the table. I, I lost the roll off anyway, so I kind of just got told where to go. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what was your round five? So round five, I got drawn into Dalton with the Ogremore Tribes uh, Iron Blaster list, and Very I was not, <laughs> not feeling comfortable at all. <laughs> I played this list out a few times with some of the guys in Simple Math, and it's very swingy depending on what mission you play and also how far apart you employ and whether you get choice for sides in regards to being able to get cover. So this mission, um, he won pro for – oh, sorry, he won um, – the table sides and on our table we had two very large pieces of terrain that were flat um like the azaria ruins a good like 12 inch diameter pieces of terrain and unfortunately they were both on his side in the deployment zone perfectly set up and that gave him massive height differential so he could see everything um so i was like cool come for one uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh the worst part also was out of these two one of them was damned one of them was arcane oh so, good fun. I was like, oh, crap, here we go. If I had won the table sides, it would have felt a lot better, um, knowing my enlightened and et cetera could be sitting on those terrain features, getting cover, dams, and arcane would have been beautiful. Um, so I was already feeling a bit stressed in that regard. And the way Silksville works out is you're, you're pretty close to each other, so I can't really hide as such. He was only a couple of drops, five drops, which means I could get some information for deployment, but also... I'd still have to deploy some things down that could potentially die. His list had 
basically the cookie cutter Ogamore tribes shooting list. So the butcher um, to throw out the ability to make your um, iron blasters that turn into monsters. He had the uh, Frost Lord and Stonehorn. They could really just push out and destroy stuff. He had a unit of four iron guts, um, two units of four lead belchers, 20 nobblers for their little scrap shenanigans, um, <laughs> and then uh, four iron blasters. He was also at 70, uh, 1970, so he was going to get the triumph as well. So I was sitting there looking at it going, oh, crap. <laughs> I had to pull my headstone very much in the corner, being like, all right, sweet. Um, I've got to try and protect this from getting monstrous action destroyed. Um, and I was very much like, okay, cool. Can I play this to get a, a draw or close to close to it? Um, that was my expectation of the mission. Um, he deployed it basically with the four Iron Blasters within threat position to be able to take off my Shaggles turn one and basically had him aligned. So it didn't matter where I deployed, he had range to everything. So very smart for him. Um, had his <laughs> Nobler screen, screen in front. So if, even if I did want to come out and try and kill those Iron Blasters, they're going to be rolling for scrap a lot. And then he had his two Iron Iron Blaster, sorry, uh, Lead Belcher ogres on the flanks to try and really shut off that summoning. So, very, yeah, very well positioned. He knew what, knew what was going on. I've deployed in a way where I had my Ungor Raiders on one flank and then sort of basically just sort of castled in the corner, trying to hug another piece of terrain to try and get as much cover as I could uh, <laughs> and basically just hide as much as I can. So I, I positioned my Shagoth dead set in the corner so you're going to be shot by two iron blasters but knowing that on average you probably was going to die delton took first turn and this is where basically i won the game because he could not hit a bundle oh no <laughs> so i'll be the first to say sorry mate your dice were horrible and the probably the only reason i won this was because of your dice yeah so he he whiffed significantly hard <laughs> he <laughs> shot into my zenger and lightens on average he should have lifted them um i think he did like three damage oh no yep and he did four wounds to my uh shaman that was that was it for turn one um so as they say you don't have to be good you got to be lucky <laughs> so this is literally yeah i got super lucky in this game he's just basically on his turn he shuffled forward Put him in a position that even if I got the turn next turn, if I got double, he was well positioned and well screened. Looking at the board, I thought, well, you know what? My only chance is to try and go in and smash the Stonehorn, get the double, and that's where we'll go. So that's basically what I did. Um, I buffed up. So I sent my two units of six enlightened into his Stonehorn, knowing that he was going to either stomp or roar at them. So then I turn off their abilities. Put Mystic Shield on one unit of six. I put uh, Sundering Blades in the other unit of six because I was like, well, if you roll my guys that have got the extra end, cool. Um, otherwise, my other dudes have already got Mystic Shield for a bit of defense. And then also charge my Beast Lord in as well to try and eat some Unleash Hell. Um, and then also threw my other unit of uh, 10 Zangors into his little Noblers, trying to remove them to cut off that, that beautiful scrap that they throw. <laughs> Um, so I got really lucky. I managed to kill his Stonehorn. I got him significantly bracketed down. I think he only had like two wins left after the first six went. He's gone back into those light and killed two and a half, I think, out of the unit that was um, Mystic Shielded um, in the hope to try and survive. Um, and then they've the Beast Lord's gone in and then ended up killing him. That bloody Beast Lord. <laughs> first scalp for the Beast Lord, so I was super chuffed. <laughs> 
I bet. <laughs> uh, yep. So he was lovely, and then he proceeded to die. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's what he's there for, though. <laughs> so yep, it's fine. So he, he, he did his job. He did, it was perfect. Yeah, so I managed to kill his Beast Lord turn one. Um, he made a mis- uh, mistake by positioning his Iron Blasters. I think they were like 2.9 behind the Nobla screen. Oh, okay. Yep. So when my Zangle into his Noblars, they just tagged him. But the way the activations went, I was hoping to use the six, the other six Enlightened that had ganked into his um, Stonehorn, which is now dead, to be able to pile into try and kill another of his Iron Blasters and also his Noblars. Um, I killed his Noblars, I think, down to about six. So that prevented those Zangle being able to pile into his other two Iron Blasters in the middle. But they proceeded to pile in with as well. So dice were great for for Dolphin. I think it was about to throw away. Um, yeah, and then I lost priority that turn. So Dalton had priority for that. He's then proceeded to shoot, remove the Zangor that was sort of pinning his Iron Blasters in. Beast Lord, who had died, um, had the spawn annoy people. Um, so that got shot off as well. And I think at the end of his two, he'd only managed to get the two units from the light and down to unit four and unit six, uh, unit three. Me taking the turn, I've then proceeded to kill, I think, all of his Iron Blasters that turn. So then he's really only had his, you know, two units lead belchers, butcher, and his iron guts left. I've then one priority into three and then proceeded to then, yeah, table one. So yeah, I got very, very, very lucky. Um, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be the first to put my hand up. And I felt, I said to him, I said, mate, I feel bad. This feels dirty. Uh, <laughs> really good, really good sport, Dalton. I know it was, it was a tough, tough game to play for yourself and it's a tough game to watch the averages just fall apart. So, yeah, I got super lucky and uh, managed to take out 5A with that. Oh, brilliant. And what, what was the score for that one there? Um, so that was a 28-2. And so that was just the three standard ones and then two dropped at the end? Uh, yes, he, he dropped three. Was that from round three or did he drop one earlier on in the game? Uh, no, from round three onwards. Yeah, so we got his first two and then dropped the rest. And then how did you feel that the game overall went for yourself? I know you had some bad dice rolls, but do you think your battle, your battle tactics and your battle plan overall worked well? Yeah, I mean, like, I know his dice were rubbish uh, in the first turn. Second turn were pretty average as well. But I guess I, I had to make sure I positioned appropriately and still tried to capitalise. Like, there was options for him to come back if if I hadn't I've made those plays. Like, if I hadn't thrown into the, to the to his Frost Lord, then he would have just come through and just wreck face. So, I mean, I, I did what I could with what I had. Um, put myself in position to be able to capitalise if he did with. Yeah, and then just got lucky. Oh, brilliant. And then, so you, overall, I think you, you pretty much nearly scored near max points. Like you couldn't, you didn't go no 25-5, which I think would have been the worst result for you. Um, your closest was that 26-4. But overall, then you got pretty much near max score. H- how did you go in terms of other people around you in terms of their score as well? Yeah, so I was just um, on a high because I was 5-0. I was <laughs> not even thinking about it. I was like, cool, whatever, perfect. I, you know, got my absolute goal. Um, this is fantastic. And it wasn't actually until Corey's come over to me and he's like, dude, what's your score? I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> he's like, I, I think you're going to win. I was like, no, nah, that's not possible. So the way, just for the for people listening, the way the scores worked is you had your your game scores. So it added up, you know, your 28 twos, et cetera, to a certain point level. Um, at the end of that, the five games, I was five points behind Corey. And in, in the battle plan, they had additional points just added at the end for your painting scores. So overall, Corey had got the most 
um, battle points. So he went straight 28 twos for every game. So he max scored, I think he was at 150. So it would have been out of 150 then. Yeah, so he was at 142 out of 150. And I was five points behind. Then when we looked at the scores, so max you could score was 20 points for painting. Um, if you had a battle ready for, so it was 10 points for painting across the board. And then the difference between the battle ready to max score, you had to have uh, basically almost fully converted army, um, painters of high standard with advanced techniques, blending, OSL, and multiple other things to get your max score. So I managed to get max score, and that's what's really pushed me above and got me the, the max points. And so I ended up finishing, I think, five points in front of Corey, being able to, to leapfrog. Almost sounds like if he'd put the extra 5% into painting, he would have got five more points and would have drawn you for first That's place. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that was the joke that the four guys were giving him, giving him heaps for um, afterwards. He took it like an absolute champion. Um, and I've always said, I said to him, look, mate, you won best general overall. Um, I just got lucky that I could paint. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so I was feeling really chuffed. Um, he, Corey was, like, going through trying to work out where everyone else was sitting because I think those were going to be six five O's. Yes, that sounds correct. Yep. And so we were just looking at the tables, what sort of points they're on, what sort of score they're on. And then he's like, mate, I think you're going to win this. So, nah, it's not possible. I'm just going to chill out here with my five and O and just be happy. <laughs> yeah. And then the biggest surprise of all ended up winning. So, well, congratulations. You're, you've well and truly earned it. That's for sure. Thank you. Honestly, did not expect it. Um, I still feel a bit cheeky in regards to that last game where I feel like I definitely only won because of dice. But, yeah, speaking of the guys, they and also, like, Corey got max scores. I was like, oh, I feel a bit dirty jumping you just for my paint scores. But he was just saying, look, the amount of effort you put into the army over all these years and you played Beast for three years through the not-so-good times, um, look at it as a look at it as a, a representation of all the effort you went into for for that time. So I was like, okay, I'll take that. And then just to round that out, uh, Joel got third as well. Yes, yep. So Joel played really well. He's on top tables. So I think his last game was very tight, and that's what enabled me to to be able to get ahead of him. So very much a stacked top end there. Yeah, so very surprised. Even when Clint was handing out the uh, the prizes, he said it was very unexpected but pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was his, his turn. Yeah. Pleasant surprise, very unexpected. I was like, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> you and me both. Obviously, you got the 5-0, and but do you feel happy with all, all your games and how you went with your playing? You felt like you played pretty solid then? Yeah, so I was saying to the guys, I think this is probably I played the best I have ever. I don't think I made many mistakes. Like, thinking back on the games, was there anything that I could have really done better? There was a few times maybe, like, choosing how to pile in and then how to stack the charges. Um, but I think otherwise I played very tight, and that's what's enabled me to, to, to do so well. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your recap here and roundup. Uh, it, was, it was good to get like a nice insight on how you got ready for the tournament, how you went in the tournament, and then felt you went for yourself in the tournament. Um, I do have a few questions. So I put out a little um, a tweet out there to see if people were interested in asking a few questions for you. So I'll just read down the list. Um, so we're starting off with Steve first. Uh, what's next for you? As Are you going to continue with the new Bok book? And then does the new GHB, obviously you've got a book in the works, change how you would write your list? So I guess in regards to keeping with Bok, look, they are my favourite army and have been since fantasy. It really will depend on what the book's like um, and whether it plays to my style. 
but realistically, more than likely, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely love Beast of Chaos. Um, it's a very sort of grim, dark, dark forest, you know, don't go in the woods sort of feel, which I really enjoy. So I'll probably stay with Beast of Chaos, depending on what the book does. Otherwise, I do have a few other options as well. And then second question for him is, yeah, so my the way I'm going to write my list is very much dependent on the new GHB and also how my army plays. So lean into the strengths. I don't know if people have heard Vince probably harp on uh, his magic days and how he plays Magic the Gathering. Um, I also play Magic. Um, and the whole pretense of that is if your army does something well, lean into what your army does well and then you'll have better outcomes because if you try and cover all bases, then you're not really doing well at everything. You're sort of jack of all trades but master of none. We'll go down to the next one here. So Josh Griffiths has asked you, did you get any crutch hammer dice? Crutch hammer dice. Not too sure what he means by that. <laughs> so he plays for the crutch hammer gaming group. Oh, right. I'm guessing uh, no, maybe one of your opponents was crutch hammer maybe? No, I didn't get any dice, unfortunately. You're welcome to send some. <laughs> <laughs> But unfortunately, I usually play with the Beast of Chaos dice, which are very much slenish based because it's very painful for me. We've told you multiple times to get rid of those shocking <laughs> dice. <laughs> yeah, they're not great. And they're terrible to read too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got Adam Bird up next. Um, what do you look forward to the most with the upcoming CanCon winners AGM? Uh, and then do you think you'll nominate for a position in the executive? The answer to the last part, probably not. Yeah, I don't think I'll be attending, unfortunately. Uh, I think this is a joke question. I think it's just, I think Adam is just trying to roll around saying, oh, I've won a tournament at CanCon, so now he needs to feel like he's back in the fold because he's off playing MCP with me. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Um, no, I'll probably, I'm a very busy man, so I don't think I'll be able to have time. Sorry, Adam, you're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Rob just says yes, so Rob from the North Wargamer. Uh, he, he's obviously ecstatic that you won. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Thanks for the shout-out for going uh, the 5-0. Um, appreciate it. I know you said that, um, who am I? I know I'm not very – haven't really been on the scene much before. Best was a 4-1. But, yeah, pretty excited to, to finally get the 5-0 and hopefully keep going. Uh, we've got two left. We've got one from Craig Anderson. How long have you been a Superman stunt double? Um, I'm guessing this is probably related to the hair. Uh, <laughs> yeah, honestly. Uh, not long, obviously. 5-0. This is the first time, so let's keep it rolling. Yeah. Uh, the last one from Gabe, uh, which is a bit more in-depth. Uh, what army slash build matchup were you dreading? To be honest, I was pretty not looking forward to either Seraphon uh, or Zench. And you dodged them both? Yes, dodged them both. So that's why I said you got to be lucky and play well. I got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> How many Slangors have you purchased? The reason he's probably put this in is because uh, we've had a few leaks from Beast of Chaos. And it sounds like Slangor get to fight twice and also have extra damage. So I, as soon as they got released, I actually hit him up <laughs> <laughs> to see if he had any, any leftover. Um, I have none, uh, but soon to be probably about six. Always got to have an option. <laughs> like you're very much a collectionist army person. Um, so I'm sure you've just got lots of everything anyway. Yeah. So they're probably one of the only units that I really have. So I'm going to grab six and then make sure that they're available for if they're good. Uh, and then his last question is very similar to Steve's. Uh, you're obviously sticking with beasts here and there, depending on the book. Um, but what's your next project? So I guess probably a lot of you guys in my gaming group know that I love to convert. Every army that usually plays fully converted. I've got a feck army that I'm currently working on, uh, which has been working on for about a year and a bit. 
I'm sure that everyone's heard, heard me talking about it in my group. Um, so, in fact, I'm trying to get out painted to a high standard, um, and that's possibly, depending on what the book's like, I might take to, to CanCon next year. Um, otherwise, I also have um, an IDK army that I've been putting together um, with like a, a pagan dark wood, sort of hail back to old wood elves style, which I'm sort of playing around with. Um, so it really depends on the book. Um, if, if box still is similar, sort of like the counterpunch, fast moving, hit hard glass hammer, that's kind of the, the army I'll, I like to play. I'm keen to see um, both of these armies on the table fully painted. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm a very slow painter, so it takes a while. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Fex half done, so next couple of months hopefully Fex out and then I'll post it up. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I just wanted to ask one last question. What's next for you in the tournament scene? Um, yeah, so looking through the tournaments, I think there is a, for us in Bridgie, there's a one day coming up uh, for April, I think April 1. I think it's the Conquest of Fools. That's a two-dayer. Two-day, yeah, so that's the, that's the two-dayer that's coming up, um, which I'll probably be getting ready for. I think it's run by PMTT here in Toowoomba. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the next one I've got to leave. I've got time authority for that one. So that'll probably be the next one. And then are you at the moment valid for Masters? Yeah, I had a look. They did a shout out. I think I'm just scraped in. Um, I haven't really been too active last year. Uh, work's been quite busy and just haven't really been able to get to too many two days. Unfortunately, in Brizzy, I think there's only about three or four that we have an option. Then you got to travel um, around. Um, just haven't been able to travel to to really get into it, but I'd love to do more. If you end up scraping through completely to the end of the master season, will you plan on attending masters? Hopefully, it really depends on what date it falls on. Um, if I can get leave from work, generally yes. Um, but also, I race motorbikes, so I'm trying to make sure I can do a full season of bikes as well. So it depends on what days. Got to get your priorities straight, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So hopefully, it doesn't fall on one of those days because that's going to be a really tough choice. Yeah, fair enough. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Geordie. It was brilliant to speak to you. Um, and I'm sure see you in the next Games Day or something like that for Simple Math. Legend, thank you so much for your time, mate. No worries, thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to Unidentified Wargamer. You can find links for the guests located in the description below. You can find the show on Twitter at U underscore Wargamer. And I will see you next week.